Welcome to Uncover Untapped Markets. I'm your host, Junie Baptiste Batavien, or call me Junie. I'm the visionary and problem solver that gets people to say, I didn't think about that, and give you a new perspective into how we can design products that benefit all. Uncover Untapped Markets illuminates the unique struggles and desires of product consumers and tech users for business leaders. As the founder and CEO of Propel Innovations, a boutique of inclusive design research giving businesses a competitive edge, we've asked ourselves, why aren't we targeting the multifaceted nature of people to build products that are adaptable? And business leaders have asked us, why is it important to design inclusively? Get ready to dive into a podcast that unveils the raw and emotional stories of people who have felt frustrated with products that just don't get it as we explore how meeting unique needs becomes the secret weapon for your business's success. We'll walk you through their journeys, shedding light on the struggles they face and the unique needs they have. This podcast is your gateway to understanding why designing products with those often overlooked is not only a smart business move, but also a way to make a positive impact while unlocking a competitive edge that your business truly deserves. Uh, so how are you doing, Michael? Good, good. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate you um, taking the time and uh, love what you're doing. So well done. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know we got introduced by another another uh, person that I've also interviewed, uh, Eli from Ship It, but yeah. I think we've only spoken once over the phone. So maybe tell me a little bit about you. Like, like what's your background? Sure. So, um, yeah, my, my story is interesting because I've touched so many different industries and I've done so many different things. So I'd like to call myself, you know, someone who's um, an expert in different trades, to be honest. Um, and so my, my background predominantly lays across um, tech startups, both across um, healthcare, fintech, and most recently sustainability, which is, I think is a very interesting space, which we'll touch on. Um, so initially, when I was 18, I founded a booking platform in the beauty industry, um, where we found a gap in the market um, in terms of being able to book hairdresser appointments. Uh, very fragmented at the time. You'd only be able to call or have to wait in line. And just that experience wasn't great when you only had half an hour on your lunch break to be able to go and get a haircut, for example. And so me and two guys at Telstra, we um, founded Book Me a Salon, which essentially was an app that allowed you, by based on geolocation and reviews, to be able to book appointments in the beauty industry. Um, did that for about three years and then sold the company to Zumato, which is um, a pretty well-known uh, reviews business out of India, billion-dollar company um, within their restaurant space. After that, went into a little bit of medical sales. Um, and while I was doing that, I was approached by high net worth family um, to commercialize a buy now, pay later product, um, which now exists called OpenPay. Um, at the time I came on as their fifth employee, uh, supported growth from five employees to about 250 employees within about, um, two years, two and a half years, which was sort of unheard of when it comes to growth. Um, and then basically we listed the company on the stock exchange. We then launched to the U S launched into the UK, 
Um, and, you know, in a booming industry, that also obviously helped, but it was um, a phenomenal ride. And once I finished with them, I started doing advisory work um, to some of Australia's highest, highest net worth families that are predominantly in brick and mortar type of businesses and are looking to innovate into technology. Um, so helping them bring technology out of overseas and launching it into the Australian market. Um, and then while I was doing that, I got accepted into an accelerator program called Antler um, to commercialize a VR project in the education sector. And that's where I met Eli. Um, and then we unfortunately didn't get funded, but I was sharing an office with a female founder who founded a company called Bearsock who was previously taken through the Startmate Accelerator program and funded through um, the Accelerator program. Um, she was about two years into the journey and um, having a very strong um, product background, she needed someone commercial to support the growth. And so the stars aligned and I joined as a major shareholder of that business to commercialize the business in um, around August last year. So um, that company is called Bearsop and um, very interesting space that we're playing in. It's, a, it's quite a fantastic story because, I mean, you've described so many various elements of your journey, right? From just finding a problem because with your friends, you were like, surely I could be able to like get my hair cut for 30 minutes, which I'd like to add. <laughs> yes. Clearly it was, was it maybe here? Was it? Yep. focus mainly for men in that situation or it was well the actual problem itself stemmed from the fact that we were all working in melbourne cbd yeah and we all had the same amount of time on our break which was 30 minutes and the issue at the time was and this is when apps sort of were pretty new the problem was that there were two options one was you either call a hairdresser and then half the time they either don't answer or you have to wait for a certain period of time and then you miss your chance or you'd have to walk down hope that they're not busy and then be able to fit it into half an hour right and so that's where the problem stemmed but then we also recognize the fact that you know people don't actually have that flexibility or leisure to be able to book on the go and so there's a lot of time wasted of having to wait and then having to um you know, waste time, I guess. And it was just fragmented. And so we saw it as an opportunity to go, okay, well, surely there's a better way to do this. And when starting to do a bit of research, it actually wasn't at that point. And so we owned the narrative and essentially um, created the app. Um, and then on our lunch breaks, we would go downstairs and start selling the app to um, all these, you know, hairdresser salons. And then after that, it was massage parlors and then it was, you know, spa and beauty, nail places. And so we didn't have the intention of male focus as such. It was just a problem that we faced that then a lot of other people faced as well. Yeah. And, and before I go to the other parts of your journey, what's really interesting is then like, how did you actually figure like the right audience for it? And I'm only, and, and I'm just going to add a parenthesis, right? Because as you were talking about it, and I was like, oh, 30 minute lunch break. And I'm thinking about me. I'm someone who's got curly Afro hair. And yeah. no such thing as 30 minute break to go get your hair done, <laughs> number one. <laughs> and then number two, like there are also not salons that actually cater to my hair. Um, sure. 
So I'm kind of curious to understand, and maybe it's good also for the listeners to sort of hear like your thought process around how you knew who to actually target appropriately. Sure. When we initially started, look, I was very young at the time. I think I was 18 or 19 and um, I was very new to business. And to me, it was just like, hey, there's a problem. Let's create a solution. We didn't even look at the demographic. We didn't think about that. We just thought about how can we bring something to market that people potentially use, right? And we didn't think, we, we wanted to look at what is the widest range of demographic we can go after, right? When we started digging deeper, what we did was um, we knew that the initial step would be to understand, to, to give people options, right, where they are. So whether you're in a suburban area of Melbourne or whether you're in Sydney or whether you're in the CBD, et cetera, to be able to find places that are suitable, number one, to cater for your needs in that area. So what we did was we, at the time, geolocation was a quite a new technology. And so we introduced that technology into the platform to then allow people to just within five kilometer radius, be able to find the nearest place. And that was the initial approach. The secondary approach was if you don't have a specific place that you go to, right? And you're on the go and you're traveling, et cetera, how do you know who to go to? And so the second element was reviews, right? And we go, okay, well, based on what people are saying, people will then rate the uh, place and then be able to choose, make an informed decision. So we, I guess, put a focus more on the tech over the demographic that we're looking to target, which in hindsight, when I look at it now, it's probably not the right approach. You know, I think the demographic first, defining that and then giving a solution to the right people and getting their feedback and then iterating would be a more appropriate approach. Um, however, at the time, to be honest, apps were quite cheap. So, you know, I think it cost us about 30 grand to develop our app. Today, you wouldn't develop an app under 350 grand. Um, you know, so in the process of developing an app today, for example, you would take the necessary steps to minimize your ad goings, especially if you're bootstrapping. Um, and at that point, we we didn't really need to do that because it just wasn't a massive expense, right? So, um, and again, we were young and we thought, let's take over the world and we learned, right? So, um, yeah, that's an interesting question. It's a good point that you raise. Yeah, but 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 out of that, of, of your answer, you've actually pinpointed a lot of things that are quite important in terms of, you know, understanding your demographic before the product that you're designing because then you're designing for someone or for people and it's knowing how to do yeah. that and so would have has that experience actually helped you towards the rest of the journey especially around the part that you talked about like being able to grow a team I can't remember exactly the numbers you said but oh. it sounds like it was quite a lot and quite rapidly as well um yeah yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. That experience um, did teach me a lot in the sense that I look at um, building companies now in a, in a way where you want to get customer adoption as quickly as possible. And to be able to do that, you almost take your customer on the journey of building your product, because at the end of the day, your customer gives you the insight as to what the product should look like, right? Rather than um, throw money and time into something that you don't necessarily know is going to stick. So rather than building a product for people, you build a product with the people for the people, if that makes sense, right? 
And I think to me, that's, that increases your chance of success. Um, and so that's how I look at every startup now is like, how do we build a product with the people for the people? And I, when I do any advisory and, and um, new founders, I always suggest to firstly, why don't you do your background homework and actually interview customers and take, come, bring the customers along the journey because you'd be amazed how many people are willing to help. Um, and so once people come into that journey and, you know, where you start your startup to where it ends up being five years later is a completely different business. And that's a good thing, right? So that's where um, I think the biggest learning has been. Um, and then in terms of the growth element of going from like, you know, five employees to 250 employees, I mean, that was just insane in the sense that we were just hiring every week. And so how do you hire? So this is always a challenge, right? How do you hire early enough so that you can scale quickly enough? But then how do you not hire before you need it to hire so you don't waste money, right? And so it's a very fine line, but because the industry was moving in such a rapid rate and as you, you know, as we know, our incumbent um, afterpay was moving at a rate that was super fast that helped us move that fast. Um, that was a big challenge. And so what we did was, I think it was about focusing our attention on things that are going wrong in the business rather than what's going right in the business and then understanding what gaps we needed to fill, right? Yeah. And how quickly can we fill them um, to be proactive, not reactive, I think is very important. Um, and always being on our front, you know, our front foot rather than back foot. So um, that's one thing I think that's probably one of the most important learnings I've taken, I think, yeah. Yeah. What's yep. the biggest barrier that you've experienced with technology? Yeah, sure. Um, I think the biggest thing is, um, yeah, because technology is moving at such a fast rate, like we're seeing now AI coming out of the, you know, um, out of the works and everyone's, it's like the hot topic at the moment and just everything is moving at such a fast pace. I mean, I was at a, you know, one of my friends Tesla's the other day and the car drives itself. It's just insane. Right. So looking at where we were three years ago compared to where we are now, it's just a very, fast moving beast, the technology space. Yeah. Um, and so the biggest challenges I'd have to say is number one, probably adoption and education, right? So how do you educate the market in a way that they keep up with the innovation, number one, to bring everyone up to speed? Um, and I think that's challenging itself because people are just, as humans, naturally, we don't like change. Unfortunately, that's the reality. And so how do we get adoption and getting people to change, I think is very important. Um, and then when there's a narrative, when we're looking at, for example, a sustainability standpoint of view, when there's a global narrative and a global strategy, then all of a sudden, when everyone's driving towards that one thing, people follow. And I think that initial adoption is the biggest challenge, getting over that barrier. But once you do, then it's a lot easier. So, um, yeah, I guess keeping up with innovation um, and then giving people what they want to see because there's a lot of challenges in building technology, mm. as you know. Yeah. And so how do you build it in a fast enough manner, number one, based on the challenges that, they, you know, that come about, right? So as an example, when we were at OpenPay, if we were to bring a new deal about, 
that was a large enterprise deal, we would need to deliver on the technology by the time that deal is launched, right? And so how do you get a whole team of 50 developers literally dropping everything they've been doing to prioritize that so we can land that, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think it comes down to hard work, dedication, and, you know, and just working it out at all costs, basically. So that's always a challenge. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the education part and the innovation part, like, I mean, if you're an innovative person, you're ahead of your curve to begin with. Um, yeah. So, and, and it's interesting because at the same time, like for me as well, you know, starting a business where I'm like, hey guys, you need to like think about, you know, a wider perspective, like a, a wider audience. Like people sort of think, I'm not really sure where that fits for me now. And, yeah. and it's a bit like with sustainability, right? Like people have been talking about sustainability for a long time. I remember in primary school, like Earth Day, you know, you used to like have like your little posters and walk around and like raise awareness. And it sounds as well that it, there's an opportunity to bridge sort of that education, the adoption gap a lot yeah. by actually, you know, getting close and personal with people and being like watching what people do, listening to what people are saying to then go, oh, have you thought of? And then you insert, yeah. you want to provide as a solution and you test it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think timing is a big, um, you know, a big element that comes into play when it comes to technology. And so, you know, when you look at sustainability 10 years ago, it just wasn't ready, for example, right? Whereas now it's like, ripe, everyone is on it, right? So um, you look at electric vehicles, right? Like we don't have the infrastructure in Australia, Yet we're trying, you know, we're like at 2% adoption compared to Europe, European adoption at like 45% because we've got so much land and we don't have the infrastructure, right? So like timing plays a big part and just understanding trends and understanding where we're going to be in three, five, 10 years to then be able to jump on that curve is very important. Um, and you don't want to be, as a business, you don't want to be left behind, right? And so... That's why it's so important to think about innovation all the time um, and, you know, bring in creative talent into the business who think outside of the box um, and give them free reign, I think is very important because that's when people flourish. Um, and so that all ties into the element of education, innovation, and how do we get adoption in the quickest way possible to bring people up to speed. Mm. And I want to ask you this question because especially the adoption part and, you know, having companies or businesses not left behind. Um, imagine you had dinner with the big boss of a company. What conversation yep. would you have with this person about why they need to redesign their product uh, with people in mind or you in mind and what's in it for them? Sure. I think, um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Obviously, what you'd want to do before you go into that meeting is firstly understand their pain points and what they're doing really well and what they're doing not so well as a consumer, as a customer, potentially, right, of this. Um, and based on that, what you'd want to understand is what is their next three-year strategy look like, for example, and what are they looking to do and why, right? Really understand that um, because obviously they're a big business for a reason. Um, and big businesses at times can move slow or can move fast. But obviously, there's a lot of responsibility to keep 
at the forefront um, all the time, right? So I think that's super important is just understanding what they're doing. I think the biggest thing for me when coming in with advice, I would say would be um, just recognizing where you see gaps for that business and going, okay, well, have you thought about doing things this way, right? Because we know that with big companies, they can tend to move fairly slow at times, right? Um, and that's because they're prioritizing other elements of a business, right? So a lot of the time they might miss out points or gaps where as a smaller business or as a more agile business, you tend to see. Um, and so I think just understanding more about what they're currently doing, what they're trying to achieve and what they lack, more, most importantly, is where you can bring in the most amount of value from an external person, right? Again, you want to tread very lightly in a way that you're not stepping over anyone's toes. But in saying that, um, as a subject matter expert or someone who's been doing this for a while, you want to come in with valuable advice from an outside element rather than being someone inside that business, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, and and I I want to challenge as well this idea of not stepping on people's toes. Um, <laughs> Because, because I feel like if you're an innovative person, you are stepping yep. on people's toes in a way because you have to sort of nudge them into being like, hey, just move forward. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, I, I mean, personally, like I, I think what you said is really good because in other words, you're applying the very principles of like understanding your customer with the actual business person, like the person you're having dinner with. Um, sure. I wonder if that's also if there's like have you ever had the experience where you've had to step on someone's toe um yeah what was the situation and why did you do that and sure. how i mean there, there, there were probably so many examples that i can give you um but to your point around not stepping on anyone's toes i think it's very important the way i run companies for example i don't like hierarchy for example I, I believe that everyone's equal and everyone should be able to come to the table with ideas. That's what employees are there for, is to, I mean, you, you want to bring people that are better than you, right, um, in business ultimately. So the table is there to bring together ideas and different um, pers perspectives, right? So I think to your point around challenging of not stepping on anyone's toes, I agree at the right time, I guess, is the, the most important thing. Um in terms of stepping on someone's toes, um, I mean, there's been instances where um, I've had to become very creative in a way, in, in a business, in a way that we had to pivot so that we can keep up to the requirements. So as an example, when I did a deal with Bupa, for example, right, when I was at OpenPay, um, even though there were other priorities in the business from a technical standpoint of view of development right i had to go through hoops to be able to go hey guys you have to drop everything you're doing because this is ultimately what's going to keep you afloat as a business right because if we don't do this it means your job as a developer or your job as a cto etc doesn't exist okay mm -hmm. because at the end of the day this deal is going to pay the bills right so um once you explain it in that way and they recognize that as much as you're pushing the boundaries, 
then going to somewhat hate you for that. They actually end up loving you for that because ultimately you're the one bringing in the business. And so without that, they don't have a job and there's no business, right? So um, I think if you think of that element, um, that's where you've got to just tread carefully, but just be be smart about how things are moving, right? You've got to pivot every day. Like there's no set. That's why I don't like setting a strategy for like three years. It just doesn't make sense as an early stage business, right? So it's like I could set a 12-month strategy, but it will probably change about 30 times in that 12 months, right? Because just things move so quickly. Um, economic trends are moving differently now, you know, so many different factors, right? So you have to step on people's toes to be able to give your opinion based on your advice and expertise, right? Um, you just do it in a way that is a collaborative approach, right? So you bring everyone to the table, get everyone's perspective and almost do like a, a vote based on what we think is the right thing, right? Um, and go with that. And if everyone's backing that approach, then no one can point fingers, you know, and everyone's in it yeah. for the same reason. And to add value to that, it's also being able to back it with stories of your own customers and what they say, because like yeah. people own their own stories and like you can't, you know, it, it, like it, you can't, um, I, I think there, that adds that element of like empathy as well, because yeah. if I tell you, if I tell you, hey, by the way, this customer, this is what happened to them when they used our product, like this is how they felt. You can't just be like, nah, we're not going to do that. <laughs> That's right, because then ultimately your customer is your CEO, right? Because, you, you know, ultimately without the customer, you've got no business. And so you need to do what your customer tells you to do at all costs, right? Yeah. Now, you do it in a way that is not just one customer, but it's multiple customers and you adopt to that and give them what they want, right? Um, so I think to your point, it's super important here. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And so uh, just to finish off then, is there a question that I haven't thought of that you would have liked me to ask you? Um, I think the biggest thing is like, you know, you know, because I'm sure there's a lot of audience out there that are thinking of, you know, starting a company, for example, or looking at different opportunities and are just, you know, I see a lot of people just being fearful at times, you know, and just getting over that barrier is always challenging. Obviously, I had that challenge, you know, before I started my first company. Um, and I think once you get over that hurdle, you know, things are looking a lot better. Um, so, you know, something around potentially, you know, why would you start or why would you take that risk and how would you be comfortable with that, right? And the answer to that would be, um, you know, I see everything as a learning curve, right? So regardless of whether you fail or not fail, because you are going to fail a hundred times, um, hopefully not that many, but yeah, um, <laughs> it's a learning, right? So you haven't wasted time or you haven't, um, you know, you haven't, yeah, you, you didn't really fail, right? It's at the end of the day, it's something you've learned. And I think as long as you continue um, and persist and continue to innovate and continue to, um, drive for more and be better, I think that's always going to give you that motivation that you need to be able to move forward. And so, um, yeah, for those that are worried to start, I think don't wait. Like that's that's my biggest tip. Um, and also I think you can do things in ways that don't necessarily give you as much risk as you should. you think you need to take, right? So, 
you know, I think there's cheaper ways to start companies. Um, I think there's more creative ways to do it, you know, when you're bootstrapping or whether you're raising investment, et cetera, but don't go in and, you know, someone gives you a development quote for half a million dollars. Don't go, hey, we need to spend half a million dollars to create a product when we don't know someone wants it, right? Instead, start from, hey, customer first. What do you want to see? Build on that and spend as little money as possible or bring in a CTO in exchange for equity rather than paying for development, right? So there's different ways to do things. And I think, um, yeah, as long as you're not fe fearful and also surrounding yourself with the right people, I think is very important. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of expertise in Australia and globally, obviously, and you want to lay on the, you know, those people and get connected with them to be able to get um, their advice and, you know, bring them potentially into the business as well. Yeah. There's a good um, analogy, or I guess for me, for a lived experience that I usually refer back to in terms of learning to, when you're failing something, like, and it, yeah. it could be very tiny, that you always need to pick yourself up. So I used to be a figure skater. And so okay. one of the first things that you learn in figure skating, and also I used to coach figure skating. And so one of the first things you learn when you figure skate is they teach you to fall and get up. You've got to do this repetitively, but as a kid, you know, you're like, you freak out because you're like, oh my God, I'm on skates on ice and you want me to fall. Yeah. <laughs> so you start figuring out how to do it. And, you know, you've got a coach and you've got someone who's guiding you to do it. And yeah. eventually you get used to it. Um, and as an adult, you know, and myself as an entrepreneur, I've often had to go back to that memory or to that experience. Yeah to remind myself like I've fallen but I can get up I yeah. the people that I'm surrounded with that act as my support or providing me advice they're my coach reminding me like ways that I can get up and so sometimes as well people are afraid because they don't know a space but if you can connect yeah. to something you've already had experience with whether it's sport well I mean sport is a good way to look at it but it's a good way to sort of reflect on what you've learned there and how can you apply it into your entrepreneurship world? Because it'll, yep. it's something that you're constantly practicing. You know, you're constantly yep. needing to learn to like, okay, great. I've fallen now. Now I just need to get up and running a business, starting a business is literally like being on ice. <laughs> Absolutely. That's so spot on. Like you couldn't have said it better. It's, I think that yeah, being able to relate it to an experience that you've had, even though it's not necessarily exactly the same, but it's it relates, I think is is a really good way to be able to overcome that fear, you know? Um, because again, you don't know what's on the other side until you do it, right? And once you do it, you be able to continue doing it, you know? So I think that's um that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think the other element is like just you know, like what are the key things when you look at a business um, that will increase your chances of success? And I think, you know, for me, it all comes down to timing and people. Like those two things are key because a lot of people go in thinking, you know, funding or, I don't know, runway, et cetera, right? But it's actually, for me, it's all about the people and the timing of that business, right? Um, and so, yeah, statistically, that's that's what that looks like if you look at every successful company um, and the people element I think is is critical 
of literally trying to bring the best of the best in 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 those areas right so um yeah just giving that thought when you do start or when you know you're doing what you're doing right because you won't see that until you go through those failures unfortunately so if you can save time and money those two things would be in my opinion are the most important things some very, very um, amazing points that you've highlighted throughout this whole conversation, Michael. Really appreciate your time. Um, love your insights on what you've given us and really impressed by like, you know, what you've done from 18, being 18 to now. I didn't ask what your age is, but whatever your age is, like it's quite, it, it, it sort of as well shows that there's no particular time. You don't have to be 18 years old to do it. Um, I'm 36 and I started three years ago. I know people who like, you know, started a business at 50 or 60. Like, there's no such, yeah, there's no such thing. If you got an idea, try to yep. find people, arm yourself with the people with their stories and then just work towards it. Yeah, a hundred percent. Completely, completely agree. No, that's great. But to answer your question, I'm 31. So ah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So, um, long way to go, long way to go. But yeah, like you said, there's no right time, wrong time. I think it doesn't matter what you, age you are, you start whenever you need. I mean, you look at the founder of KFC, started very late, as you know, <laughs> or Warren Buffett, you know, all these guys that, you know, um, so there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. This episode of Uncover Untapped Markets featured the inspiring and thought-provoking Michael Bronfman. I'm your host, Junie. Connect with Propel Innovations on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Propel underscore UX. And read my blog posts on Medium at JunieBP. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with other business leaders. Want to be a guest on our show? reach us at hello at propelinnovations.co. Leave us a review so we can unveil more stories like in this episode. Hit that subscribe button to stay tuned and keep uncovering untapped markets.